This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And today we're talking about Nick and the Glimmung, a 1988 novel uh, by Philip K. Dick. Um, very short novel, and it's for children, supposedly. <laughs> I think it sort of is. It sort of is. Um, and it's uh, and also the novel that is somehow tied into it uh, called Galactic Pot Healer, which was published in, I think, 68, something like that, um, which we've done a show on before. And yet I think we should probably talk about uh, Galactic Pot Healer a lot. Had either of you read, either of you read Galactic Pot Healer before? Uh, no, I hadn't read either of them. I, I had read it way back when I was discovering Philip K. Dick back in the late '80s. So it'd been a long, it'd been a long time since since I uh, had read Galactic Pot Healer, and I only vaguely remembered bits and pieces of it. So. Mm-hmm. It's a favorite uh, of yours, right, Jesse? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's what. That's why I wanted to ask is. What did you guys think of it? Because I, uh, because we had a couple of uh, date changes on when the show would go out, mm-hmm. and the fact that I lost track of what day it was, I kept rereading both of these <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> so um, I got to enjoy Galactic Pod Healer, and it's just such a wonderful book. I just before uh, this, we started recording, I was listening to just a random chapter from. Uh, Galactic Pot Healer, and it's it's just so full of gold, so full of gold. Yeah, which chap- which uh, scene or chapter was that? Uh, it was when Dwight L. G- Glimmung got him on the <laughs> on the phone and told you told uh, told Joe Fernwright that he was in a box. Oh uh, yeah, in- oh yes, behind his furnace in his basement at uh, Pleasant Hill Ro- on Pleasant Hill Road. Yeah, there's so many funny scenes like that because. That's the one where the the radio host is um, talking to the whole community, right, and, like, taking questions from the callers, and he's like, what's your question? Where are no. you? Does anyone know where this man is? <laughs> it's just... That's right. Um, and one of the things that uh, occurred to me when thinking about just in that scene, I was in the shower listening to that. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is wonderful. Um, one of the things that's bugged me for a, a number of years about this story, this that novel, is that um, there are sort of what I would say like mistakes in it that I like, well, that's kind of, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, that's kind of stupid. But then I move on with the story and, and then it doesn't matter. But in thinking about that scene, um, I find maybe that the mistake is not a mistake. So let me just oh. uh, ask you this. Where were... Uh, his uh, quarters when he talks about his quarters before he goes down to Mr. Job, right? He says, I've been collecting quarters. I've got like 68 of them or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, where did he, do you remember where he said he kept his quarters? Weren't they like, well, I can't remember where he said he kept them, but didn't the police or the the officials find them hanging in his toilet? Uh-huh. They they said yeah this is where you you he he had kept them uh-huh. right or yeah this is where he's keeping them and that's also where the uh, the bobbing uh, sealed the note, plastic yeah. container yes. with the note <laughs> the second communication from uh, Glimmung comes which is hilarious 
Um, but that's not where he says they are when he's talking to his buddy at work. Uh, on, oh, uh, what does he say? He says he keeps them in an asbestos bag behind the radiator. Ah. <laughs> oh. Which makes a lot more sense for it to be asbestos, right? If it's behind the radiator. Because um, you don't want it to burn, right? But later on, it's still in an asbestos bag when the Mex- he's handing it out to the Mexicans, right? Which the the contents out to the Mexicans. And I was like, that's a mistake. It's, he just started with an asbestos bag um, and behind the uh, behind the radiator because that's a funny place to keep things. And then later on, Philip K. Dick forgot that, oh, it's a water god. Um, and he put it in the toilet tank. <laughs> but my alternate theory <laughs> as, to, uh, as to why this change happened mm-hmm. is not that it's a mistake, but rather um, it's one of the clues um, that... Uh, sort of appear in a, a few of his stories like you know i have these weird theories about uh the uh, the ss guy in man high castle right that he's actually an italian and then becomes a uh, a nazi mm-hmm. right um th- i think it's kind of similar here because one of the things that happens in that scene where joe is he's just come out of the police station run off in, out of the street after the police have arrested him for giving out his, his quarters, um, is that Glimung uh, sort of zips him out of there, puts him underwater, and then says, I don't know where I am. When the phone is shoved up to him, he picks up the phone, he's listening to the radio, he makes the phone call, and Glimung says, I know exactly where, uh, where Joe Fernwright is. He's in a packing crate, a sealed packing crate. Behind- <laughs> yeah. Just to the left and behind my furnace, and it's like, uh, okay, Glimung lives in a house, um, and Joe lives in a, an apartment. One has a radiator and the other has a furnace, and I, I think that that's sort of close enough that they're both in boxes, right? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's this thing where he's doing this parallel structure that. Nobody seems to mention this when I did searches for it, that, you know, yeah. there's the two, the disparity between the placement of of those coins. Oh, that's interesting. So, so, yeah, because... So, oh, go ahead, Marissa. I was just going to say that when I read that stuff, when I see things like that, I just think, mm, yeah, it's just Philip K. Dick, like, not editing not his books caring. and yeah. <laughs> just inconsistencies. And I think, I think that it is inconsistent, but I think... I don't know if he did it consciously or not, but it it seems to be like when he says something, he writes it down. He says that's true, right? And it sounds good, and he moves on. But then later he develops something. Um, like he's not writing, you know. He's, I imagine Robert J. Sawyer sitting down uh, at his uh, bulletin board with a whole bunch of like thumb, I don't know, thumb sized little notes. I'm putting the book together, structuring it, right? Mm, right. I, I, I can tell by the way Philip K. Dick writes where, uh, say, like, um, they dis- in the other novel, um, Nick descri- he's told about a wub, right? And he describes a wub in his own mind. And then the very next sentences are about a description of the wub, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what he thought, right? There's this sort of just organically flowing yeah this is true ah this is true mm-hmm. sort of thing that happens and because 
Glimung is a, a water deity, sort of. At least Mo- Molly says that in uh, in Galactic Pot Healer. Um, I think that he he's trying to fit it all together. And that the fact that it doesn't match earlier, that's okay, because he's got a way of dealing with that. Hmm. Consciously or unconsciously. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of like melding of flowing through. He's che- I mean, he... he he writes like he's channeling things, so it just comes out mm-hmm. as it comes out at the time, and yeah. and and as things change to suit, well, he changes things morph along. So you have quarters in a quarters in a bathroom, quarters quor, quarters in a uh, behind a radiator. He's behind a furnace, so he in a sense, yeah, he he's he's putting putting these things in discrete boxes and just changing them as the story changes and doesn't go back to actually revise it because well why would he those those coins re- represent his his opportunity to escape right, right. there if he can get those coins into the mr job it will be enough he'll get enough words out of mr job and he will get a job right <laughs> um and uh, when he ends up giving all his coin, all, or almost all his coins away, to uh, the Mexicans, who uh, <laughs> when, this is uh, one of those books where uh, Mexicans come up again. We got to put that uh, on the redderizer because that was in a couple of books ago. Um, when he hands those out, he doesn't know why he's doing it. The police say, "Why are you doing this?" Right. And did they steal it from you, right? And then the police impound the rest of his his coins, right? And then say you're going to report to us. There's a manipulation happening by Glimung of all the characters in 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 uh, Galactic Pot Healer, but there's also a choice um, when he he's he's taken out of the box, right? And he sees Glimung as he sort of really is. Which is a hoop of fire and a hoop of of uh, water with a little girl in the center. Mm-hmm. The dark <laughs> um, girl. Yeah, he's saying, you know, you, 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 here here's your situation. Uh, what do you want to do? And he still wants to keep playing and avoid choosing, but eventually he's, he's sort of forced to. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of parallels, you know, that bag of money. He's making this plan. He's making this plan. He's going to go do it. And then on the way, he he gives all his money away. He's, like, trying to avoid it, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Glimung makes yeah. him change. I think it's just super, super, super rich, that book. Yeah. I do think, though, I, f- I feel like we, you know, when you read it, you kind of connect dots that he might not have intended when he's writing it, which I think is yep. kind of um, the fun of his books. And he does that as well. Like I, f- I feel like from when you read him talking about his own works, like he goes back and reads them and then he like, is like, Oh, I see what I was doing there. Mm-hmm. You know? And he kind of does the same thing where he connects these dots. And then I think later he starts thinking it's all divine that he's been <laughs> <laughs> spoken to yep. by some entity. Right. But I don't think he, he totally knows what's going on in his books and, kind of enjoys them in the same way that we enjoy them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get the sense he enjoys writing these books because mm-hmm. it's just like he's echo he echoes previous books. He like like with the Redderizer, he re he uses and reuses different things and in different ways he manages to ma- ma- manages to keep uh 
amplifying his uh, work with each successive novel as we've been going through them. Yeah. Especially now we're getting into the real dense, thick, big ones. Not, 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 it's almost been like a slow takeoff of a curve as we've gone through the early novels, and now we're getting into the ones that we he's really pulling in everything over and over again. And so there's like this amplification across multiverses of all the different ideas and novels he has running yeah. through all at once it's a it's a it's a wonderful weird jungle a thicket of uh, bamboo shoots with a father thing growing in the yes center. i noticed that <laughs> <laughs> um i i, I want to read this because the the philip k dix fan page has some excerpts from letters mm-hmm. um and you know this is what philip k dick will do is we'll read the the book and then we go read the letters and He'll say, my best book, and it's like one of his worst books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, um, you know, he was just justifiably proud of whatever. Here's some, here's some quotes. Galactic Pot Healer is another novel in which PKD expressed negative thoughts. Quote, one that I vacillate about is Galactic Pot Healer. Sometimes it is funny to me. Sometimes it seems dot, 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 stupid, stupid, period. <laughs> Nothing can be said for it. <laughs> and then in a 1970 letter, he says, Galactic Pot Healer is minor, very minor. In fact, I wish I hadn't written it. I think, though, it has one good part. The section in which, oh, hell with it. No good, no part of it is any good. I was going to say the part where the protagonist is reached by a telephone while crouched in a packing crate. <laughs> I sort of hate Galactic Pot Healer, as well as the Zap Gun, which means we got to read the Zap Gun soon. Um, plus a few more. And then W-R-R-G-H. Erg. Whatever that wow. means. And then um, I have the exegesis. Did I say that right? I don't even know how you mm-hmm. say that. I think that's yeah. um, I, I was looking up what he said about it in there. And, of course, he's in a totally different state of mind after his um, 74 experience. But mm-hmm. he's um, he writes in there about Galactic Pot Healer that he decides it was a psychotic episode <laughs> and that he was like basically deranged as he was trying to write it because he was trying to write about the divine, but he didn't know God yet. Mm-hmm. So he was, um, he said that he, he scraped the bottom of the barrel and died creatively and spiritually. And then he says, what a misery that was Paisley shawl, hoop of water, hoop of fire, how wretched it was. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, he's not giving himself enough credit. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, then, I mean this, this whole Jungian archetype of the of the of the good Glimung and the dark Glimung, and it it it, uh-huh. it, it, it kind of echoes back to the earlier novels where he had the uh, where we had the uh, cosmic puppets. Remember the cosmic puppets uh-huh. where we where we have the two opposing forces in the town. That's what I was thinking of. Now I hadn't read the Cosmic Puppets, remember before, so now it's like that's where he's stealing the two glimmungs. I'm he's stealing it from from uh, Ar- Aramon and Ors from the Cosmic Puppets and something yeah. against each uh-huh. other. Um, I want to read a couple more quotes here, and then I want to talk about Nick and the Glimmung yeah. and its connection. Um, this one is really good. Uh, Tim Powers uh, writes uh, or replies to Philokadic uh, or. Anyways, this is a letter. Oh, he says about, for example, Galactic Pot, pot Healer that he just winged it, quotation marks around, just winged it, and didn't think about it twice, wrote it out fast, and was never in control. But in some ways, that is one of his very best books. I completely agree with that. And then uh, James Triptree Jr. Uh, says in a letter, I guess, 
on one occasion, she did. Oh, I guess this is somebody describing her. <laughs> on one occasion, she describes taking galactic pot healer and mailing it to herself after reading the opening pages as the only way to force herself to meet a writing deadline. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I can't have this yet. I gotta do my own book. Wow, it has it has one of the best last lines in a book I've ever read. I agree. The plot was awful. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And uh, if you read around online, people uh, have these debates as to what, or have had these debates as to whether it's a depressing ending or uh, an uplifting ending. Yeah. Uh, um, to me, it's very obviously a funny ending, <laughs> and also um, funny too. not depressing at all, uh-huh. because I, I find the whole book to be very, um, it's it's very um, uh, uplifting. I find yeah, it's, it's so funny. I I feel like my biggest disappointment with it was that after reading the title, I I really thought it was going to be about a happy pot healer. Like healing the world through weed or something. <laughs> was like that's that's oh. what I thought back in the eighties. It's like <laughs> yeah. I, I avoided like, people. Oh, like I, yeah, I don't want to read about pot. I know, I know, because at that point I had read a few Phil K. Dick novels. Like I don't, I know he does drugs and he's. I don't worry about pot. I, I, no. I, and then when I started like, oh, okay, pots. Okay. Yeah. He likes that kind of stuff, doesn't he? There's always sort of drugs and pots and cups, like these really simple um, yeah. vessels in his stories. There's a there's something really cool about the uh, my my reading since the last time I read this book for the podcast. Um, there's a Stoic philosopher I can't remember which one, uh, ancient Stoic philosopher talking about how to have a happy life. Mm-hmm. And one of the mm-hmm. things um, that one of the mantras they're kind of like mantras. They don't really have a like a guiding philosophy sort of text. What they have is sort of these ways of thinking about how to make your life not feel so terrible. Right? Yeah. And one of the things they say is don't, don't have a favorite. It's something like don't have a favorite cup. Right. So I actually do have a favorite cup. Right. <laughs> like, um, when I'm drinking tea, I like to have the glass uh, double walled teacup because I can see how much tea is in it. Right. I can always mm-hmm. add more before I lift it up and look to see that there's none left. Right. It makes you feel better when you, you, you don't lift up your cup and there's nothing in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so if that cup was broken, I would feel uh, I had lost something. And the way Stoics are supposed to um, deal with things is saying you don't own anything. Right. You just get to use them for a time. So yeah. if your wife dies, the ideal is not to feel uh, like you were ripped off or that um, – it's a sad thing. You say, um, I had, I had as much time as I had with her and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm lucky to have had that much time Mm -hmm. because every, everything, you know, dies in this universe. Right. Um, and so when your cup dies, right, your cup is broken. You shouldn't feel sad. Um, because it's, you had, it's the use of it. Right. Um, and you can imagine having a, you know, a beautiful vase that you, while cleaning it and you really appreciate it and love it for its beauty and its craftsmanship and maybe it's, it's ancientness and you knock it off the mantelpiece and break it into a whole bunch of broken pieces. 
what do you want to do with it? You wish that it could be healed, right? And the thing about a pot is really they can never be healed. They can be glued back together. Mm-hmm. But the technology that that is that is his livelihood is um is uh, almost gone in in his world, right? Because people everything's made out of plastic in his world. Yeah. Isn't there so, there's something to this. Yeah, isn't there as one of his novels where there's some scene where he's kind of talking about that as well about um pots or bowls put back together and the beauty of them? Mm. I, I, can't, I don't know if I'm tripping or not. I feel like I've like that's in one of his other books. Could be. Well, he also mm. talks about the, the jewelry and the man in the high castle and the craftsmanship of mm-hmm. making those and and yeah. how it's hard to make something new. And and, and and that kind of ties into here because there's like because at the end here, our protagonist is trying is going from healing the old things, just 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 like uh, just like in um. Man, High Castle. He's going making replicas of old things to now making new things. Mm-hmm. Right, and I guess we're going to get to um, pay for the printer, the short story. But that, absolutely, that ends with that. Um, you know, where the guy has the wooden. He's made the wooden cup from hand, and it's imperfect and not not, right. not like one of the replicas, like the right. printers are trying. To and it's and it's all the more beautiful, right? Exactly. You see, it's a it's a theme that he hits again and again in these in these three works. Yeah. I I think it's uh, it's very well tied in. Um, I, I also want to talk about the ending of Nick and the Glimmung because I think that that is fabulous. And, yeah. Um, uh, I want to talk about how. These two books are tied together. I, uh, it's my contention. I, I think I can prove it just by pointing to the dates. Maybe not. I think Nick and the Glimmung was written first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's it's not so much a dry run for uh, Galactic Pot Healer as it is sort of just a book that he, that he couldn't sell. Right? They put it in a drawer, sat for... 30 years or whatever it was, 20 years. Right. And then uh, he becomes hot shit after he's dead. And they said, what, what else he got? Right? Yeah. Um, it was sold in the UK first and didn't get an American release until relatively recently. Um, but uh, there's so many things that are s- very similar, not plot-wise, but structurally, between the two books. Um and one of the things that's in Nick and the Glemong, or one of the things that isn't in Nick and the Glemong, that is in even in uh, this book, making it an adult book. The oh, sorry, I'm getting confused. Pod Healer has boobs. There are no boobs I, in <laughs> Nick and the Glemong. I totally noticed that. I was like reading Nick and the Glemong and being like, boobless. "This is so strange." Reading a PKD book with his no boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Molly. the only difference. It's still like kind of dark and it still has all these like deep themes and he's just like well it's a kid's book i better not put boobs in <laughs> i i think he's a really good kids writer uh he's he's weird but he's good mm-hmm. um molly in galactic pot healer um she's not human by the way she's humanoid right um she uh she has a spray on blouse yeah, uh, and she's got a very narrow waist, and then he's very subtle about his description of the boobs, but it it's definitely in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she also has gray skin. I can't remember. A blue skin, she's, I think. Yeah. yeah oh, it's something skin. like that. She's she's um, uh, and I love her name is Molly Yoyez, right? Yeah, uh, 
I, it, he wrote, uh, and I think it's an exegesis how he came up with that name. Oh, really? Yeah, he just smashed the keyboard and saw what letters came out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so broken. That. <laughs> he, he just decided just to go with whatever letters came up. Um, there's a, a, another connection between the two. I, I mean, there's millions of connections, but one of them that's fun is Mar- uh, Marissa, you tweeted, uh, what was it, Philip K. Dick's Tinder profile or something like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> something like that. He said, favorite color, Reg. Yeah. Favorite animal, uh, squib. Right. Yeah. So Reg, Reg is actually in both books as well. Uh, Reg is a color in one way. Um, and it's a character in the other. Yeah, I saw uh, that. In Nick and the Glimmung, the waterman is named Reg. That's his first name, which mm. could be short for Reginald or <laughs> something. And uh, Red is what, what I, if I was doing the cartoon, and I think it would be a marvelous cartoon. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like a mini movie or, no, just a movie, a full-length animated movie would be great. Oh, yeah, that would be the way to, be way to go with this and little animated feature. Yeah, I think, I think uh, it would be marvelously... Uh, Marvelous to look at. By the way, the audiobook narrator was really terrific, I think. Yeah, he was. Who was that, actually? I have no idea. (laughs) We should find that out. Yeah, I recognize his voice, but he's really good. Yeah, he's really good. Um, He did uh, all the the, uh, voices very distinctly, like even the the anti-pet man and and the, the reporter, like they all have these. Uh, very distinctive voices. Mm-hmm. And the, the Nick, Skittles. Nick Pottle. Nick Pottle was the uh, ah. was the audiobook. Uh, we got to find more stuff by him. I think he's he's done he, he oh yeah that's why I recognize him. He did uh he's done the uh, Patrick Rothfuss novels. Ah. He's done he's he's done he's done science fiction before. He's not. Yeah, it definitely sounds familiar. He's done some Heinlein. I like uh, I like how he did the father as well. And I like also that Philip K. Dick, he we actually can learn the names of the mother and the father if we pay very close at least the father pay very close attention. But whenever they're discussed, it's Nick's father said this, right? Mm-hmm. Nick's mother said this. Well, well, um, well, yeah, it's very focused on his point of view and everything is from his perspective and squeezed through his uh, perceptions. Mm-hmm. But the fathers, he's kind of like uh, he's. He, I, I sort of imagine him like Philip K. Dick. He's sort of nervous and uh, full of weird ideas. Yes. The mother's a little more stable, and the kid is like I. I would guess like kind of like a little Philip K. Dick, because he's he's not uh, developmental illness of any kind yet, but his father's got it, and uh, <laughs> he might develop into his father. Um, because he's he's very stable, clear thinking, right? Uh, the father, the, those lines about how cats have an introversion of their minds. Yeah. <laughs> and then he applies it to himself a minute later after. Yeah, his father's just always sort of rambling about these things that Nick can barely sort of understand. And it's the other characters in the book are kind of passing him by being like, whoa, relax, dude. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a really a calm and... Uh, uh, pleasant version of the Mosquito Coast, if you know that movie. Oh yes, where the the Harrison Ford character is he's I don't know some sort of radical. Uh, uh, we have to we have to raise these kids right, huh. so we have to go into the middle of nowhere. 
and battle the battle nature all by ourselves. And the mother's like, okay. <laughs> and the children are like, Dad, are, are we really going to do this? Because um, uh, there's this is a uh, Nick and the Glimmung is really cool because it's it's one of these stories that actually does the thing that Phil K. Dick is always always talking about, which is emigrating. Mm-hmm. Right, that's true. Um, in uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Mm-hmm. Um, emigration is the big thing, right? Everybody's leaving. Um, in fact, the earth is almost empty. I don't understand how he became obsessed with this unless it's by analogy, right? So uh, emigration is a real thing for a lot of people in a lot of countries, right? Canada has more emigres in a certain sense, I think, than the United States does population-wise. Canadians go down to the States, right? Uh, I, I guess New Zealanders, they leave New Zealand because it's a, you know, sort of a – it's a backwater in a certain sense, right? Yeah. In the same way that Canada is. Mm-hmm. Um, they either go to Australia or they go to the United States or they go to, Orlando. I don't know, Tahiti, whatever. Yeah. They just, they, they leave because it's, it's, you know, if you want to play in the big boy leagues, that's not the place to do it. But uh, California is not the place where people emigrate from. That's the place people emigrate to, right? Right. So, I mean, I, I guess if you go back to his childhood, it, it's him leaving the East and going to the West. That There's that, right? Getting on a plane and flying out West and then settling in a new place. But I also think that it might be just a, like the whole plot of Nick and the Glimmung is because they're not allowed to have a cat, right? <laughs> that's how it all gets kicked off. And... To me, that's like him living in a condo and then finding out that he has a pet and he's not allowed to have a pet, right? Yeah. It's like his his wife and his kid are living in a, an apartment building. The cat gets out. The owner of the condo says, you can't have a cat. Get rid of it. And he says, that's it. We're emigrating. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, well, nobody on earth can have pets. It's not even just the right, building. A, nobody in the condo can have pets, right? Uh, yeah. It's the and this is and Philip you, K. Dick's like um, his obsession with the animals and like empathizing yeah. with them. And even the father in the story has these kind of like philosophies. Like, you know, he stands by there immigrating because he's like, no, I, I feel like animals should always have a place with us. And that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hor- hor- I, I I thought about this as listening to this. Like, I was thinking, is horse really the reason why they're going to emigrate? Or is that the reason why Nick th- Nick is being told that they're going to Emory and there's really something else at play. And I, and I, yes. I, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was trying to uh, decide in a Dickian way is, is it something where I'm missing the perception or is it really that straightforward? Yes, we have a cat. We want to keep the cat. So that's why we're leaving. Yeah. I, I, that's how the two books tie together as well. Um, one of, one of the things that, um, that comes up in Nick and the Glimmung again and again, which I really like is whenever they talk about pets, Right, they talk about cats and dogs and parakeets yeah. always over and over again. Right, it's the first time they say if she has a, cat, I think it's Miss Juth, the the teacher of nine hundred students. Right, um, says uh, if you have a cat or a dog or a parakeet, right, and then um, the when they get on the airplane, <laughs> sorry, the spaceship <laughs> to go to uh, Plowman's Planet. They say strap in your your cat if your your pets your pet your cat your dog your parakeet if you don't your cat or your dog or your parakeet will fall on its nose yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the uh, 
<laughs> the fact that all pets are reduced down to cats and dogs and parakeets <laughs> is hilarious. Um, but it's also, I mean, that's also what's driving the background of do, uh, do Android's dream of electric sheep, right? Everybody has to have a pet. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you don't have a real pet, then you have to get a fake pet. Because that's, it's, it's, there's some psychological drive behind all that. It's very cool. And you can totally read the book, uh, Nick and the Glimmung, as uh, just a straight up, yeah, we're, we have to move because uh, we're not allowed to have pets here. That's sort of the straight up version of it. Yeah. Right. But uh, I love uh, what we hear about uh, Nick's dad's job. Because it matches almost exactly the kind of job Joe Fernwright has in um, Galactic Popular. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. I mean, so yeah, they, yeah. they both work in cubicles, right? Right. I mean, I mean, does does Nick's father play the game? We don't know because Nick never <laughs> sees it. But it wouldn't I, surprise me. I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty nervous, but he he certainly has to. He's, he has no absolutely no job satisfaction, right? Um, he, what he does is he checks to make sure that uh, the guy on his right has signed uh, the documents. Then after he's checked to make sure he has signed the documents, in four years he's never made a mistake. He's never not signed. He passes it to the man on his left who folds it, folds the document, and then either mails it or files it. Um, and if he's... If he's filing it, he passes it to the guy on his left, who uh, Nick's father has never seen. Right? Um, that whole like it's it's an assembly line of jobs where that whole world. What's so cool is both Earth and uh, the atmosphere, of, uh, or at least both Earth and the Plowman's Planet are kind of the same societies in both books. I think Plowman's planet's a, a little more changed than in uh, than Earth is, but they're both sort of dystopias of everybody. There's too many people. There's not enough jobs. Everybody has money, um, but they have to worry about spending it right away because hyperinflation. Uh, hyperinflation, and um, so nobody's starving, right? But nobody gets as much work as they want or need. Mm-hmm. It's about very. Unfulfilling. They're both about that work. Sorry. It's very unfulfilling work. Completely unfulfilling. Yeah. And that that I think that's why make why um, Galactic Potheeler is so good is that the end right he has broken out just like in Pay for the Printer, uh, from the. You know he's growing his own food in a certain sense rather than buying it at the supermarket. Right. He's he's cultivating his own garden, mm-hmm. which is to um, itself has its own metaphor. Yeah, so the, uh, I think the, another theory about I have about books is that like Dune, for example, why it's such a great book is because of how much work he put into it in the backstory. Why Lord of the Rings is such a great book is because of how much work Tolkien put into the back, mm-hmm. you know, in behind it. Yeah, and I think the reason Galactic Pot Healer is such a great book is because it has Nick and the Glimmung in its back pocket and all the other things that uh, were put into Nick and the Glimmung are all things from earlier in Philip Kiddick's writing career too, right? Yeah. Um, the printer, 
that in pay for the printers. You, you both read that story? Yes. I, di- I, I didn't actually have a chance to read because I've been on vacation. Oh. So, Marissa, uh, you re- you probably read it far more recently than me. What what? How did that one go? You mentioned the ending earlier. Yeah, go for it. Um, that one. Well, I think I feel like it might be my new favorite Philip K. Dick short story. That, oh, cool. Yeah, Tell us more. it's it's the one where they're in this kind of. It just reminds me so much of the Fallout world, where yep. the couple are driving through the desolate. Um, wasteland and the printers have come to earth because they they sensed uh, some kind of nuclear explosion came to earth saw the people were all like walking around in this radioactive world and decided to try and help them and they're just like printing all the human artifacts to try and like help the humans build back up their world but the printers are wearing out and dying and the humans are just using them for the most ridiculous stuff like pop-up toasters and watches and starting to starve and cities are collapsing and um yeah and then i think it's like right at the end of that one where the um they meet some hitchhiker from one of the collapsed cities and he's finally learned how to like make his own cup and make his own tools again Mm mm-hmm I, I kind of think about how uh, how that story developed is is uh, I think about after World War II, you know the the Americans come in with all their canned goods and their <laughs> their blankets and mm. all these displaced persons and they're just doing handouts 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 Marshall right? Plan the Marshall Plan and and then the rebuilding it, who's doing it in a certain sense you're as a kid that's your life too right you you're handed things right. Yeah. Um, and those things aren't real because they're just. Dis- I mean, <laughs> I I wasn't. I I remember going to people who were not raised like I was, homes, and see the way they treat objects that I think would be precious. They they treat they're like completely disposable yeah. garbage that don't cost anything, right? Um, and I think, oh my God, how could you waste and be so wasteful? Um, but that's how you are as a kid. You, when you don't know that things have, you know, there, that when you wreck the Monopoly set, right, that there is no more Monopoly set because you're on an island, right, and then you can't just get it out from another drawer. Or like how when little kids go to the cupboard, they go to the cupboard and they pull out food, right? And they don't think that somebody had to put food in there. They never see that. They just see that there's food in the cupboard and they can pull it out. Yeah, it's so much about that. Like that kind of um, I guess like that lack of gratitude or lack of understanding where things come from. And um, It's really sad actually that story pay for the printer because they're mm-hmm. treating the print the printers the big, like they're obviously organic. The, the things are trying to like lay eggs and breed, you know, but they're sterile because they've been helping the humans so long they've just got no energy left. There's a line in uh, in Nick and the Glimmung that is really like that, super tragic, right? Yeah. It, it's a piece of uh, like poetry almost that says, "In the end, the printer can't even print itself." Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. It's in both it's of them. Babe. It's so sad. Like the printers are. I think that, yeah, my favorite thing in Philip K. Dick's creators uh, creations because they're just so like. Paul, they're they're like uh, really friendly shagas. <laughs> Because they, they, you know, they can break off bits of themselves and yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're like in um, they're in a what's the other one? Maze of Death as well. Oh, that's cool. right. They're the right. tensions in there that are like reproducing. There, there's um, I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was um, the one we 
What's the one with the dolls? Per- the Perky Pat one. Mm-hmm. What's that one? Uh, oh, st- Three Stigmata, right? Right. Um, uh, they're a similar kind of alien from Mars that uh, drop the packages, right? Yeah. Um, of, uh, what are they called? The good boys or something like that. Oh, that's right. They, they're kind of a, they're kind of a similar case in that they are aliens that are friendly, right? That they're just trying to help. Yeah. These humans, they, they screwed it up. The, uh, Martian time slip has a similar, like you're going to go farm, you're going to go emigrate and farm other planets. This is, uh, uh, prob- I think probably um, has something to do with Heinlein. All you know, the book I'm thinking of. There's um, one Farmer called in the Sky? Farmer in the Sky, yeah. Yeah, that, that, wor- that's, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, so, so like, we're going to go farm the universe, right? We're going to go turn the American West... <laughs> out in make make the American West out in space, and you're going to be assigned a piece of land, as in Nick and the Glamung, right? You're going to be given a house. Um, in some cases, you're going to be given robots, slaves, right? Um, and there's going to be um, natives there, right? Yep. As in Martian time slip, and maybe some of them are going to be friendly or neutral or mysterious, right? As the Spittles are, mm-hmm. right? They're the friendly one. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably a lot why the UN comes into, you know, handing out pieces of farmland on, I mean, that's, that's, uh, Canadian history. That's probably U.S. history as well of how they farmed Oklahoma, right? They had land grants and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think that there's something in there, but I, I also think that, um, Pot Healer is the adult version of Nick and the Glimmung, which is about a cat, right, and keeping your cat. Whereas uh, Pot Healer, there's no child. It's just him trying to make a life out of his work that he's getting unsatisfied. He's becomes the ending of Nick and the Glimmung has Glimmung destroyed in a certain sense by his own spear and the negative Glimmung that comes out of the printer, right? The puddinged one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That that ending is is it's so interesting because it echoes the black Glimmung in uh, Galactic Pot Healer. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that. So, so if this came first, and because Glimmung is much more of a, a male, is malevolent the, malevolent the right word? I think so. Malevolent, malign, malign, malign entity in Nick and the Glimmung, whereas in Galactic Pot Healer, he's much more. He, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's ambiguous. I mean, he 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 puts everybody through changes to force them to come to the planet, basically. But he's not as he's ultimately good, I think. But he he's definitely not the villain as he is in Nick and the Glimmung. Nick and the Glimmung, it's a he's he's clearly a villainous figure. Yeah. I wonder why Dick decided to go radically change that for between writing Nick and the Glimmung and writing Galactic Pot Healer. Well, I think it, it's kind of uh, like our last our last book as well, right? Is people see the Three Stigmata God as uh, sorry, what's his name? Palmer Eldritch. Yeah, Palmer Eldritch is, is an evil god, right? Um, Nick and the Glimmung is kind of the uh, sorry, the Glimmung is kind of a cartoon version of of him, 
in actually the way he inhabits other people, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a theme in Dick stuff. Yep. Um, that goes all the way back, by the way, to uh, his first published story, right? Um, Beyond Lies the Wub. We get wubs in that, and uh, it's the the words can be inhabited, right? In the same way that the wubs could be inhabited. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The wubs are inhabited in in the first web story, right? Right. That's right. The the wub and wubs can talk in the first web story, mm-hmm. and spittles can talk in the first uh, Plowman's Planet story. But uh, did you notice that there's a spittle on Plowman's Planet in uh, Galactic Pot Healer? Yeah. Yeah. He can't speak, but he sells the book of the Kalins. Right. Which is the same, pretty much the same book as One Summer Day, right? Oh, oh, I think it's, I, I think it's pretty much is that same sort of thing. Has a different title. Yeah, different title, same book. Different function, but um, there, there's so much, like they're so connected, and one, like you know how we say one day Philip K. Dick feels this way about something, and then the next passage, you know. Five minutes later, mm-hmm. he feels completely it's the opposite, right? So, God is good, and then God is malign. Yeah. And how can that be? Well, the world is good, and then the world is malign. Yeah. I, 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 I just love, I love seeing this, seeing Galactic Pod Healer in the context of, of Nick and the Glowmonk because it's it's such a light book, even though it'd be heavy. I think a lot of people think it's inappropriate for for young kids because it's got a lot of heavy heavy elements to it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that really actually heavy. because you uh, spend a lot of time teaching children and stuff. Like, would how did you feel about it as a ch- uh, children's book? I uh, well, I think little kids handle darkness a lot better than adults do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I I was thinking this is the kind of book I would love when I was a kid. I, I think it would be terrific. I, I'm uh, saddened that there aren't a ton of philokatic children's books. There is a really dark, um, by the way, I didn't send this one to you guys, but there's a really dark, uh, people always say this is philokatic's only uh, novel for kids, and I think that's true. However, he did write a short story um, called uh, Tony and the Beatles, which is kind of similar to this uh, novel. Um, it's about a kid named Tony. <laughs> um, he, his family has emigrated to an alien planet. Um, they are the minority there. And uh, it's on uh, a planet around Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. And the aliens there are uh, insectoid. The main character uh, is... Um, he's he's uh, got a robot dog instead of a cat. Um and the friends at his school are all, he's like the only human around. The rest of them are Beatles, right? The friends at his school suddenly turn against him when the news says that the humans are going to try and uprise against the, the Beetlejuiceans in another war. There had been a war in the past. And it's, it's a story basically about, think about like, imagine you're a Japanese kid. Um, and, uh, it's 1950, right? And you're going to school in California. What would it be like? It's like that. 
it's kind of depressing because all the people or I guess in 1940, right? All the all the people who you thought were your friends are suddenly against you because of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very dark. But it's told in the same way that Nick and the Glimmung is um, from the perspective of a young kid. Yeah, true. And uh, the other, there's another story that's uh, also like that, although not as YA, in because it's I think it's a little shorter, um, and that's the one that's referenced explicitly in Nick and the Glimmung. Um, it's the father thing, which yeah, is a yeah. horror story for children, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's one of the things that I would imagine would put people off uh, reading it to children because it's so scary. But <laughs> it's so scary for adults, I think, is what it is, right? And I mean, there are True. kids who do get traumatized <laughs> by horror movies or whatever. But I think after a certain age, especially when it's in in words, not in imagery, you know, imagery. Yeah. yeah, like uh, when you have one of those YouTube videos where you're watching what's supposed to be cats, and then out pops a You've got it on full screen, and it's very quiet. And then out pops a giant monster from the bottom of the screen in a sort of a rickroll, <laughs> a horror, <laughs> horror-filled rickroll, right? Um, that That's frightening for everybody, right? Adults and children alike. Um, I don't get startled like I used to when I was a little kid, so I think I got inured to it, maybe. Yeah. But um, uh, Hansel and Gretel is a story of, of cannibalism, um, adults um, sending their children off to starve deliberately. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, murder, and it's a horror story beyond uh, beyond what you would think kids are capable of. And yet, it's also a true story in that it represented, you know, what actual events in in Germany at a certain period in history. Yeah. Right? So that that story did give me nightmares when I was a kid, like the idea of children, yeah, of children being cooked in ovens. Yeah. But I loved that, like that. That was why I loved it. Like, that's why I couldn't stop reading it because it was, you yeah. know, and that, it, all those like Roald Dahl stories and all that, all that kind of dark stuff. I think you, I think you should have yeah, nightmares is, and yeah, freak well, out when you're a kid. And yeah, Roald Dahl's a really good uh, analogy. He's kind of a Philip K. Dick style writer. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah, it seems a shame to protect kids from that kind of like creepiness, and you should think little freaky thoughts like that, like, Ugh. yeah, like because what are they? They're I, like cocooned, cocooned children in these like mushroomy plant. I don't know. Well, it, it, we're talking about the the father thing. The father thing, thing the, yeah. Father thing, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, the in the in the original short story. Of the father thing, it's set in I I think the period in which uh, it was written in the 50s um, or the early 60s, and the story Nick and the Glumung, the father knows what a father thing is, right? They have read, <laughs> they they know of the history of the father things invading the earth, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when the when they find out that there's father things on. Uh, it's a, a long list of aliens that live on, or creatures that live on Plowman's planet, some of which are native to it, some of which are not, um, including Glimmung, who, by the way, he's, he's, uh, he's like a, I, I, I said it in the show about, about um, Galactic Pot Healer. He's Cthulhu, right? Mm-hmm. In, a, in a large sense in that book. He's like a, a very positive Cthulhu. Um, because he's 
or one of those elder gods anyways because and and in this origin story for him we find out that he was born or came from a, a cold star right and that he brought the book with him and that he manifested himself sort of by increments until people they didn't know he was there until he was there he had sort of crept up into everything and people all over Plama's planet know about Glamung um, and know about his book, but they never see him, right? Only Nick could see him inhabiting the verge. There's something really cool about that. But, but the ending of, of uh, Nick and the Glamung, I think is probably as profound in a sort of a more interesting way and maybe leads to Galactic Pot Healer then Galactic Pot Healer's ending, which uh, maybe we can't see it coming, but we can really appreciate for what it is. When Nick sees the the Nick thing, right? Right. We're told yeah. that that those they're evil and that they're out to destroy you and replace you. And what does Nick do? He lets it go. And the Nick thing just seems to want to like, I'll be cool here. Yeah, and the like, Nick thing gives him back his cat when he asks for it. Yeah. As well, like just. Hands it well, over, they, like mm, okay. Yeah, the, the 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 cat knows which one is the real neck. W- well, I, I think so. How though? I think, sorry, go for it. Well, I was wondering about that because I saw that written on some um, summaries of the story, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't see it in the book. Like I couldn't see that Horace, the cat, makes a decision or Hor- Horace. Makes a decision after he's prompted, but he goes up to the Nick thing, um, and the Nick thing even says Horus. Yeah. One of the one of the things that we're told about Nick things is that they oh sorry about Father things is that they um, they don't actually speak; they just make sounds right. that sound like speaking. Well, if you're a cat, that's going to be the exact same thing, right? <laughs> they don't understand; they only understand your tone, and and they can sort of. It's in. It's right in the book. They can take it in for a while, right? But they 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 really don't understand. And that that parallels. I love the way um, Horus. By the way, I thought Horus until I looked at it on paper. I thought it was H O R U S, like the god. Oh, yeah, so did I. Actually, oh. I was thinking Egyptian cat god, not 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 H O R A S. Do you know? I knew what it was because um at that Philip K Dick conference I went to, they were talking about. Uh, his cats. He had one called Horace. It was named after Horace Gold. Uh-huh. Oh, cool! He named his cats after his editors, I think. <laughs> yeah, Horace Gold. Horace Gold was a real cool character. Yeah, and also he was a he was a shut in. Oh, um, he he was like a cat himself. Wow. He uh he didn't go outside because he had uh, agor- agoraphobia. Huh. Yeah, so he's um, I think he's immortalized his own cat in this story. Did you know about uh, his one of his earlier cats? I think. Well, one of his cats was named Magnificat. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, but I, I just I, I think that at the end that the Nick thing is going to go off. It's like if this book was to continue, they could have some adventures together, even though one of them can be lit on fire because he's just made out of bamboo. But so, yeah, because I was, I was confused about that ending because, so Paul, did you, you've got the feeling, or you both feel that Horace kind of chose Nick, like he. 
I, I think he didn't yeah. choose Nick because he knew. I think he chose Nick because the Nick thing didn't encourage. Uh, he, the Nick thing knew that Horace belonged with Nick. Yeah, I thought I thought Horace was kind of like picked the wrong one actually. I thought that he'd gone to the Nick thing and the Nick thing is holding him, and then he, the real Nick only gets the cat back because the Nick thing hands it over. Is like yeah, that's my impression. Yeah, so like do you think? Yeah, I I listened to some. I wish I had the text in front of me, but um, I think I think you're right. But I but I th- I, th- I thought there was a sense of rightness when the cat was returned from the Nick thing to Nick. That's like this this yeah. is. This is this is what's meant to be not Norris is not meant to go with the Nick thing, and as a result, the Nick thing will not replace Nick. And that's one of those primeval and primordial fears that a child is going to be replaced with another. Or it it, it goes back to Coraline. Remember Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, it's much the same. Well, that's what I I almost read the ending like that for a moment because. Because Horace went to the Nick thing and it's like rubbing around its ankles and the Nick thing says the cat's name, I was like, oh, is that the real Nick? And is the is the Nick thing now going to go back to the father? But the only reason that doesn't work is because we're in the real Nick's perspective. I've got chapter 17 in the ebook here. Let me just read it for you. This is the final chapter of uh, Nick and the Glimmer. When they reached the place of slag and white rock, uh, the white rocks, I, I want to do a map. I, I, I forgot to say this, Paul. Um... I thought of this whole world of Plowman's Planet after reading Nick and the Glemung and and then thinking about it as a, in context with with um, uh, Galactic Pot Healer. Uh-huh. I thought of the Dreamlands. It's very much a Dreamlands world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that that sort of vague sort of geography. The names of yep. the names of various uh, formations. Beings, the cats. The, there's cats there's and zoos. cats. Yeah, right. it is a very dreamland sort of. Sort There's of the wordges that are the what are the what are the wordges in in uh, Lovecraft's dreamlands? They're the uh, the ones that tickle you with the rubbery faces. They're black, black with rubbery faces. Right. Can't remember. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, want to do a map of the dreamlands, uh, like uh, or a map of Plowman's planet, like a map of the dreamland dreamlands. There's. Uh, there's all those cities. <laughs> Magnificent city. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disparity city. Yeah, yeah, just trying to get to places and the difficulty Nick and his family have with that. It it almost feels like they're traveling through the dreamlands and totally. not, 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 nothing is nothing is complete. I mean, uh, Galactic Pot Healer that there's a lot more straightforward sort of travel, but in yeah. Nick and the Glimmung, it's much more like yeah, traveling through that dreamscape. Yeah. Let me read here. When they reached the place of slag and white rock, Nick's father and Mr. McKenna halted. Nick and the Spittles halted too. For a long time, they gazed at Glimmung's mark, the enormous cleft cut into the peak of the stark rough hill. Each of them thought his private thoughts. No one spoke. He was here first, Glemung was, as Spittle said at last, for the benefit of Nick's father and Mr. McKenna. Nick's father. And it's not, it's not, it's all from the kid's perspective. Mm -hmm. I knew that already, Mr. McKenna said. Everyone who lives on this world knows that. He had become grave and forbidding, as as had Nick's father. Is he here now? Nick's father asked the Spittles. Did he come here again after he was wounded? Maybe, the Spittles chirped, but they did not seem alarmed. If so, he wouldn't show himself. They started on. A far-off cry came to Nick. The cry drifted in the bleak air. This is uh, 
predicted in the Book of the Calends or uh, mm-hmm. One Summer Day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it wavered, became faint, then louder again. Horus, Nick said, he could tell. He recognized the sound. At once, he started from the path, stepping quickly over stones and slab-like surfaces of molten, once molten slag. I think it came from this direction, Nick said. He stumbled, then hurried on, climbing up the slope on the hill towards Glimung's mark. His father shouted, Nick, stop! Don't go any farther! But his father and Mr. McKenna yelled together. I'll be right back, Nick said over his shoulder. Again, he heard the cry. Again, he knew it was Horace, the cat lost somewhere in the lifeless hills. Horace would not survive long here. Nothing survived in this place anymore, not since Glimung had come. Panting for breath, he halted briefly. Above him, near Glimung's mark, a black, small shape appeared. It paused there uncertainly. It was Horace. Horace, Nick said, and he began to climb. He continued on laboring and gasping. Rocks tumbled about his feet, and once a massive section of lava broke off, and uh, and at once, I guess it should be, broke off and crashed past him to disappear below. The air became thick and difficult to breathe. It made him choke. Strange air, he said to himself, wonderingly, as if fragments of dust inhabited it. Mm-hmm. There's a nice line, a resonance, right? Yeah. Inhabited. He coughed, paused to get his breath, looked up the slope, trying to make out Horace. The cat could be seen. Horace stood on an outcropping of, cro- of rock. Oh, uh, geez, this whole thing is, I, I thought it was one page. It's huge. I'm going to have to skip ahead. <laughs> it's a whole bunch of pages. Sorry. Uh, I'll just read the last little bit here. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he saw the Nick thing. It stood just before, Hor- just beyond Horace, not moving, not speaking. No wonder the cat did not know what to do. I and it, Nick said to himself, identical. He felt terror. He gazed at the thing and it gazed back at him. A long time passed, or anyhow, what seemed like a long time. And still Nick, the Nick thing did not move. Yes, he thought, it's a father thing, the one of me, which got away back near the house. The one the nunk warned us about. The one which followed me. Here it is, waiting. It waited for me to come up here. Horace walked back to the Nick thing, as if to rub against his legs. No, Nick said sharply. The cat hesitated. He started away from the Nick thing, then stopped. The Nick thing bent down and said, Horace. Quickly, the cat hurried over it, over to it. I lost him, Nick said to himself. He watched the Nick thing pick, him, pick up Horace. He watched it stand erect, holding Horace in its arms, stroking him. Give me back my cat, Nick said. The Nick thing continued to hold Horace. I want him back, Nick said. He belongs to me, not to you. Can I have him now? He waited. Lifting Horace, the Nick thing held the cat out. Thanks, Nick said. He reached down and took the cat from the Nick thing's arms. The Nick thing smiled a little, a wistful, wan smile. Then it turned around and walked away. Nick, holding Horace tightly, watched it go. Meow, Horace said plaintively. (laughs) Step by step, Nick climbed back down the rocky hill, back to the path where his father and Mr. McKenna and the Spittles waited. They had not seen the Nick thing. Only he himself knew about it, and Horace too. Horace had seen it, but the cat did not understand, so that did not count. Are you all right? His father asked. Yes, said Nick. Fine. Let's get out of these hills, his father said. They worry me. I feel better when we get home. He started off. Nick and Mr. McKenna and the Spittles followed. Horace in Nick's arms rubbed and purred. It's good to have you back, Nick said to him. The cat bumped his face against Nick's chin, showing his pleasure at finding Nick. I'll bet you're really... I'll bet you really bit the two tropes who ran off with you, Nick said. Didn't you? 
The cat, as if agreeing, continued to rub. He seemed self-satisfied, as if he had done a noble thing. Yes, Nick said, you did. Looking back, Nick cried, tried to catch a sight of the Nick thing. It had not followed. Safety city, as one of the spittles piped. That's <laughs> all it was. So, so the cat seems happier in Nick's arms. I mean, I mean, I mean, the Nick thing. Did I think it would be equally happy, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, go ahead, Marissa. Yeah, I, th- I think it's equally happy. I feel like it didn't really carry the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 I think it's very subtle to sit. It's very subtle. Yeah, that the, the, the yeah, I mean, he says the cat. Yeah, the cat, cat was happy to be back, but yeah, I, I, I may, maybe I magnified that difference a little too much in my mind in listening to it. But, I think the cat would be pretty much happy wherever it is as long as it's not being eaten. They're cats, you know. They 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 love you only as much as you can feed them, kind of. Um, so, that, yeah, but, it did feel like the Nick thing really made that choice there. Like it. Yeah. Yeah, like, okay, this guy has prior claim, but it's I love this cat, too. Um, I, th- I just think it's so cool that the, the Glimmung was replicated, right? And he made a, the black Glimmung in a certain sense. Um uh, and he, he stabs himself with his own spear, mm-hmm. right? Which is not in the other book, right? But he stabs himself with his own spear. And I think uh, this is something Paul should resonate with. Um, and the spear gives him a wound that can never heal. Yep, that, that, that goes back to uh, the, Arthur, the Dolorious blow from Arthurian legend and also from right. back, back, oh, going back further to uh, the spear of Longinus in Christ. right. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I was thinking the Arthurian, but yeah, yeah I like that. The, yeah, he, the stigmata that can never be whole. Exactly. Healed. Wow, good. Um, and, and in in that replication, uh, on both both versions of of the Glimmung story, right, where he's he's down there under the sea, and if you guys remember that little piece of pottery with the cartoon on it. Oh God, yes. That's so good. They peel away the the coral, and he sees more of the cartoon. And it's a little guy fishing, and he he catches a big black fish, right? And he keeps opening it, and, and it's like, oh, okay, what does this black fish represent? Hmm, I love it so <laughs> much because it doesn't say, but you have to you have to make conclusions from it. I I really like the the book of the Callens and One Summer Dream. It kind of reminds me of uh, something from a role-playing system called exalted in the, in the exalted universe there's a there's a, a book called the broken broken winged crane which is supposedly going to tell the future and about how the 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 evil uh the evil uh titans basically who have been locked away in hell for all this time are going to come back and it's going to be going to be great and they're going to punish punish those that have locked them up and so this book is kind of like a prophecy but the book keeps changing as events keep unfolding so mm. it's and and to read it is to kind of be infected with it and get wrapped up into the story of the book. But the book just keeps morphing and changing and growing, just like the Book of Talents or like One Summer Dream does. They keep writing themselves and rewriting like a palimpsest and echoes of what could have been and what not have been. And I like how both Nick and uh, and uh, and in Galactopatiolar um, that they have to deal with uh, the consequences of prophecy both false and true and how do you deal yeah. with how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with such a book it's a it's also determination right so right. uh uh or predetermination predetermination versus mm-hmm. free will yeah um that i think that's much stronger 
in I mean it's in both books, but it's I think it's more explicitly in the way they deal with the Cal- the book of the Kalans in in Galactic Pod Healer. Um, even Glimmung is struggling to overcome right overcome the predictions that are in there. Right. And Molly's uh, like acting like a lawyer, saying, "Well, it doesn't say that he dies. It says that you will do be, be all will be lost, right, or whatever yeah. it is." Um, and when Nick sees, when he looks up his cat, Horace, he sees what's going to happen, but it isn't fulfilled exactly, right? And the fact that we, ha- we it's like we have wiggle room, even though we are predestined. Um, yeah. We have a little wiggle room, and that this is Dick's big struggle, right? Yeah, they talk. Do they talk about that? Is that in Galactic Pot Healer that it's um, they sort of the Carlins playing the odds as well a little bit, and then people are just sort of obeying what they're told. It's interesting because I don't think we actually meet the Carlins, right? One of the things yeah. that happens is that. Uh, Joe, I think, confronts um, Willis, the robot, mm-hmm. who's a great character. Um, <laughs> he says, "He says you're a Calend," and and he says, "No, no, I I, I do fancy myself a writer. I want to be published." Oh, yeah. <laughs> here's my here's my uh, pamphlet on it. Um, but even the uh, I pointed this out on the other podcast. Um, I re-listened to that, and I thought, "Why wow, it was such a good show." Um, even though, even though uh, Julie and uh, her daughter are, uh, I think they're both Catholics, um, they they really appreciated what's going on in there too. And yet, it's a it's a struggle, right? The struggle that Philip K. Dick haven't has is not some one that believers have, mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. they they don't have it when they're believing. <laughs> if they struggle with their faith, right? The fact that they don't sometimes they don't believe. Maybe that's when they do. But um, if you are like uh, me and uh, I think PKD and Lovecraft, right, where you think the world is material and that we're going to die and nothing's going to happen after that mm-hmm. other than other people going on and doing their own thing, um, then you you do have an existential sort of difficulty. Um, and yet uh, – you also think that there's no point in anything because uh, you, it's all sort of prescripted. So how do you deal with that? And that that's him. That's what Dick's always struggling with. I think if we think about what the man in the high castle is, right? That that book, the book in the man in the high castle. What's it called? The like, grasshopper lies heavy. Right. The grasshopper lies heavy is saying this is how it, how it it goes in another world, right? Does that do anything to us when it's possible we read a fiction? Yeah. And does that change us? Yeah, I was, or do you just go along with it? I was right? totally thinking that because it reminds me of like um, horoscopes or like we have a lot of – like where I live in LA, there's like psychic shops everywhere. Oh, but um, I feel like they do that, you know, like with the horoscopes. You hear people yeah. are all the time like, oh, I'm just like I'm, – I'm just really fiery because I'm a Scorpio. And I'm always like – or, you know, were you told you were a Scorpio and that's why you're fiery? You know, like, people just kind of, like, fall into what they're told, what they're predicted. Yeah, or adopted, right? Yeah. As a, a, I mean, uh, some days you get out of bed and you feel kind of shy and, like, you can be damaged easily. And other days you get out of bed and you're, like, indefeatable, in right? Or mm-hmm. Whatever. And that, that, that 
that sort of clothing that you can put on of a personality, uh, you can make excuses as to how you got there. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. you could get up and you could read the book of Collins and it says like, today you're going to have an awesome day. And you're like, that's right. Like, okay, I then that, I will. <laughs> I, I, when I was much younger, I was very dismissive of all the, that sort of junk. And I, I still am in a certain sense, but I kind of, if you, if you're, trying to be sympathetic towards even the idiots right <laughs> <laughs> and i am trying it. to be i am trying to be sympathetic even towards the idiots like I, I went i was driving around town yesterday with my sister who's moving soon and needs to get some uh a new computer and she's going off to like a very remote location in bc to teach um she's a very aggressive driver and all the things that she says about other people on the road it's just so funny because uh, it's like, I wouldn't say that about you, and yet all the things you're saying about other people's driving, that's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's you describing your own driving, right? Um, and she's unconscious of it. It's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. But um, but she also, when she's not in that, you know, that uh, aggressive driving mode, she knows she's an aggressive driver. Um, she might be defensive about it, but the the for people who who don't try and project into the mind of others as much as some mm-hmm. you've got to be sympathetic to them because well that's my attitude because otherwise you just have to despair and dismiss and I don't want to do that yeah so i think that, that that's sort of what what's so cool and why i love galactic popular so much is it it has this feeble god, right? That it's just trying to trying to help things, and it's totally manipulating all the actors um, that it's bringing to its quest. Yeah, right? the yeah. the Glomong is, and and also the Book of Collins seems to possibly be doing that as well. Yep, it's, it is all about manipulation and getting. Into why why is why is he give them? Why does why does uh, the Spittles give out the book of the or sell the book of the Callens um, at the airport or the spaceport, right? In uh, Galactic Pot Healer, and in this book, it's uh, it's who is it that sells it? Oh, it's uh, it's it's Glimmung himself. He gives them a copy of what's supposed to be uh, uh, the book of the war or something, and it turns oh, out yeah. to be right a, a piece of propaganda. And it turns out to be one summer day. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think is just such a wonderful title because it totally doesn't tell you what the book's about, does it? <laughs> or does it? Right? It's so interesting that it's such a weird title. Yeah. For uh, Book of the Callens is all serious and. Yeah, but you couldn't imagine Nick and the Gloom, Nick coming into a possession of a book called The Book of the Callens. That'd be a very different children's book. That'd be very high. YA rather than the, this is much more middle grade so it wouldn't would fit in the tone that they had had that such portentous title. It's so funny that like the 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 book's tone is it, it's it does have all that sort of the it's supposed to be YA so sort of the attitudes and the 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 subject matter and you know it's a little little questy sort of stuff. Yeah. But there's a lot of heavy heavy material going on. Yeah. One of the shitty criticisms I sent you guys, um, some guy's long review, 
really long review. Um, he said all these things that was wrong with the book. One of the things he said was that it. I don't. He said something like, "I don't need to be told the definition of things, and I hate it when uh, when if I was a little kid, I'd hate to be told the definitions of a whole bunch of things." Um, whenever there's a high level vocab word that's in this book, um, it's never defined except for the one time at the very beginning when he says, "What's that mean?" Right. And he gives them an answer that's not exactly right. But all the subsequent times, like even when he's asking the the spittles, what <laughs> a desperation city or whatever they say, oh, yeah. right? Disparity city or something. Disparity city, city yeah. right. right. Um, they never defined it for him. Yeah, that's so, true. It, what, what's so funny is you bring yourself to the book. And if you are just looking at it for <laughs> which book? You bring yourself to a book, and you, if you're looking at it through your lens, you'll only see what you'll see. It's just like the world, right? Mm -hmm. When my sister goes driving, everybody else is a terrible, aggressive driver. <laughs> or they're, they're slow, and they're, they need to move it, move yeah. it, move it, right? <laughs> um, when I go driving, I'm like, oh, oh, you go ahead of me. I, I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to drive. I don't want to be out here. I, I need to go someplace. But You're like, yeah. they, they probably feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I don't know what's going on in their minds. I just know they're dangerous and I've got to be wary of it. But, yeah. It, it's surprising she doesn't have more accidents, given that she's <laughs> And me, I'm always surprised when I don't have an accident because I'm so defensive. Yeah. Uh, well, which which book do you like better? <laughs> kind of not a real fair question, I, but I, I like Lactic Pot Healer better. Maybe maybe because I I am very hit and miss on YA middle grade books. I mean, mm -hmm. one I like one out of I haven't read that many of them, and sometimes they feel a little too under under uh, under complex for my taste, and mm -hmm. and I and maybe it's because I had read. Galactic Party so many years ago and hearing hearing it again it was good to like fall back and say, Oh yeah, there's the game. Okay, I now remember that and okay now we're mm -hmm. now now there's the book of the Calends. That's right. That's just like the broken wing crane. Right, exactly. whereas Nick and the Glimmung was much more of a an idol that came and went in a, in a few hours and that I was done with it. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. That's the word for it, an idol. Um Marissa? Um I think I liked Galactic Pot Healer for the same reason, for like the complexity of the yeah. story. But I think I liked the the world and Nick and the Glimming better because I love those printers and I love that all the creatures in the war. And I think just reading the father thing and pay for the printer with it, like if I put all those three mm. together, that those three stories all together, I don't know, that makes me think about way more things. Like it's, yeah, I, I love the Nick things and the the idea that people were getting replaced and um, they kind of reminded me of, um, you know, the thing, the movie. Oh, the John thing. Carpenter. Yeah. 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 And also um, yeah. in the father thing, when the, the father comes and sits at the dinner table, like that's so the invasion of the body snatchers scene. Mm -hmm. It is. Yes. Very yes. Yeah. Yes. I feel like I could have like read a lot more about those three stories. Like if that had been a, a big deep novel, Mm -hmm. I probably would have liked it more. Yep, uh, I, I, I still think Galactic Pot Healer's Dick's best novel. Um, 
and I think it's I think it's that way because it it's it's super funny. Super it, funny. Yeah. It's tackling uh, uh, maybe the most serious issue there is, which is uh, what is the point of existence? Given that there's no point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's hopeful. It gives you like I, I come away from that book. Um, not just, you know, amused for a moment, but hopeful in it's a, it's philosophy is very hopeful in that, um, we can, yeah, there's no point, but, uh, in struggling for something, which in that book is, you know, the raising of Haldskala, um, we don't know. And that's, what's really missing from Nick and the Glimung is we don't know what the Glimung wants exactly. There's a war. It's sort of, you know, my famous way of describing thick books. Undercooked. Yep. That plot is undercooked, undercooked because I want to know more about uh, what's going to happen after uh, with this war. I love the idea that, you know, we're at the turning point. Um, I'm not one who calls for sequels all the time. But I, I think that Dick knew it was undercooked in the way that he does with these. Um, what's so cool is he takes old stories, right? And recycles elements of them into new ones, and sometimes it just gels incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And I think it did pretty good in Nick and the Glimmung. But then he uses Plowman's Planet and Glimmung, who is really not the same character at all, right? Um, and uses a structure in the same way that they start on Earth. Uh, it, life is terrible there, right? They're driven off. They, they're driven off. They 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 choose to leave. There's a choice. And then they make a new life. And what's what's cool is in Nick and the Glimmung, we're, we're sort of we're we're halfway there. But in Galactic Pot Healer, its ending is that everybody else, except for uh, Joe Fernwright and a, a bivalve, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. another Lord Running Clam, right? Another uh, sort of alien buddy who <laughs> gives you gives you sort of a life advice and gets your girlfriends. <laughs> um, uh, and they, they say, you know, we're done. We, you know, they, they, they got a project, but I, I think I can do something else now. Yeah. And, uh, that's another choice. That's sort of ev- not evolved him, but, um, lifted him out of the depths of despair. Yeah. Existential despair. Even though the pot was awful. Yep. And the pot was awful. <laughs> of course it would be yeah. just like that. That cop and pay for the printer. Yeah, that's awful, and it's all okay. Have we talked about the uh, the Frederick Jackson Turner th- thesis on this podcast before? I don't think the, so. The uh, Frontier thesis? No, I don't think so. Maybe remind me. Um, that that's that's the thesis from uh, Frederick Jackson Turner about how the existence of a frontier shaped American democracy hmm. and values, always having that place to escape to, always having that. That that safety valve and yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I'm not sure what the context was, but well, the the, the context was in the, well, once once that for a lot of uh, science fiction, especially in the 50s and 60s, and I'm thinking of these two novels. In a sense, outer space and other planets, and in space, Plowman's planet is that frontier for for Turner's thesis. That's the place where people can escape to. That's the place where the energy of of uh, America, or in this case, the world goes to. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the world in both uh, Nick and the Glimmung and um, 
and Galactic Potheel is a very American sort of world. If you hadn't noticed, yep. it doesn't feel doesn't feel very international at all. But that that having that problems plan there, it provides that escape for those who are willing to sacrifice and go for uh, go to, go to uh, escape the dysfunction of their society to try to make mm-hmm. to try and make a new one, and in so doing. Uh, pull pressure off of the existing one. In the case of Nick and the Glamong, it's all over a cat. And in, in the case of case of uh, Galactic Pot Healer, he's contrived to do it, but he's not happy on Earth anyway in his in his lousy job with the even though he keeps bringing up the game over and over again as, as kind of as kind of a trying to almost like a seduction technique, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's terrible. He's so terrible at seduction. She's she's like she's like, yeah, I'm into you. And he's like, let me tell you about this really boring thing that you're not interested in. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so yeah. So I think I think this novel is more of that more of that tradition. Just like we were talking about uh, the, the the Highline novel, uh, Farmer in the Sky. That 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 we have that frontier out there, and it's it pulls characters out of out of a out of a malaise or a constricting existence into. Uh, into a new one and so expand them and grow them and grow society. Yeah. I'm going to be farming Antarctica in, a, in about 20 years. Wait, I think. Wait a minute. We already, we already had the, uh, the, the Philip K. Dick novel with the, with the resorts on Antarctica. <laughs> no, no farming. Oh, not, I'm oh, not going to well. be in, I'm not going to be in a fluke pit. I'm going to be farming. I'm going to be making pods or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be actively creating instead of just, um, well, take take your camera. The, take your camera. The, the the mountains in Antarctica are supposed to be beautiful. I, did I tell you? Uh, I don't know if I told you guys this one time. I had a. Uh, I really liked um, one of those back in the early days of the web. I I really liked uh, April Fool's Day jokes for websites. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, and I had I I was concocting for years and years. I was concocting a really elaborate one for my website. And I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. I'm like, this is so stupid because it's only going to be up for one one day and maybe, you know, there's like 3,000 visitors a day, right? So they're going to see it one day and they're going to go, huh, that's funny. But the amount of work I was doing on it to get all these stories up and make it completely searchable. Oh, my God. It was huge. Oh, wow. I, I, I made it I made it some big, long acronym for SFF Audio. It was, it was basically, um, it, it was like some society for the uh, transplantation of polar bears to Antarctica. Oh my <laughs> Because goodness. there's no polar bears down there, right? And there's all these penguins that need to be eaten. And it was going to be like a dead serious like raising money and this is our plan and here's the boats. And then I, I had like pho- I photoshopped a bunch of pictures showing all these dead penguins <laughs> of polar bears down there. And I was like, oh, this is it's going to be so awesome. I made a, you know, just completely redesigned the website to match exactly everything. And I was going to implant it, you know, put it in place. And I was like, God, this is, this is a lot of work. Is this joke any good? And I'm like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> because it's only going to last like 24 hours. Wow. And you can't do it again next year, but right? But you did put it up? No, I never did. What? I It's... No, it's because it was too much work. Oh, that's hilarious! Oh. <laughs> that's even because funnier. I was making, I was making like, uh, you know, I was gonna make a whole bunch of posts going back 
months and months and oh, months. Oh, God. So it was just like a big April Fool's joke on yourself. And yeah. Then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it, that's sort of like what the game is, right? Is that we do all these things to distract ourselves yeah. when we're from living our lives, whatever that is, whatever yeah. our project is. We do all these things, right? So I play uh, computer games online, um, uh, Fallout and uh, Battlefield 4 and that sort of thing, right? Uh, but that's not my life. And if, if you do, you know, spend too much time on it, like, it is, you feel terrible. You feel not just dirty, but you feel like, like lowered because you've been, you've been in the same way that Joe Fernride has. You've, it, it's easy to fall back on little junk like that. Yeah. I guess what, 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 you know, people say about, you know, cat gifts on the internet making them is not a life and what, certainly viewing them is not a life yeah there's a there's a quote in um galactic pot healer about that where joe is sitting in his cubicle and he's talking about um uh you can just get used to anything you know mm -hmm. he's just he's just like if you if you get used to it you can learn to like it and then you're just stuck there because of habit yeah did you guys, uh, a long time ago when I was thinking we were doing the podcast, a long time ago, I sent you guys a bunch of fake uh, book titles that I sent through Google. Yeah, I had like, no idea yeah. what they were until just recently when yeah. I read these books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was anticipating you having read that. And yeah, that I was like, why sense. is Jesse sending these <laughs> Why is Jesse going insane? <laughs> yeah. but, um. Uh, but what you do is you take you take a a long title right, and then you it has to be at least three words long, I would guess. And then, so w w one of the ones from Galactic Pod Healer is um, uh, I want to say vicarious restricting path, but that's not uh, oh honest constricting path or something like that. That's Ernest Hemingway, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so um, one of the ones I sent you guys was the movie Some Like It Hot. <laughs> I just translated into like uh, arithmetical um, temperatures um, are preferred. <laughs> or like oh my that. goodness, that's funny. <laughs> 1950 movie, right? And you can see how people would become addicted to that using what is essentially Skype, right? Right. Um, uh, in that world where he's calling up Russia and he's calling up some other cubicle in some other part of the world to get his to pass the goddamn time of day because no work comes in no, yeah. no work comes in his his work is unsatisfying it's yeah so yeah so so why not play uh games trying to figure out uh the uh what the uh the domicile stockyard means mm -hmm. yeah it, oh home Sorry. depot <laughs> like yeah <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, sounds so depressing, sense. and that you know, also, it's fun for a minute. Yeah, but do we have? And then it's depressing. Yeah, yeah, I'm like your sister. Like I'll say that, and then I'll go play video games. <laughs> like, no, no, no. I think you have to do it a little bit, yeah. right? You have to do all that sort of. You do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of it is just like for pa It's it's to ritualize certain things. So you don't, like, I don't play more than two hours generally. Yeah. Uh, in, at a time, if you uh, when I was a kid, I would play for eight hours or the whole day, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, I, as I call it my mindfulness meditation time now. I'm just there. You go. Yeah. That's <laughs> <sounds> better. 
<laughs> it's more topical, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that that's there's something good there. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>